Saturday morning, and welcome to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host. It is March 22nd. Okay, spring is going to come, I swear. I swear. I know the weather's been up and down over the last few weeks, but it's happening in the greenhouse, folks. Regardless of what's going on outdoors, okay, Mother Nature is going to play nice here, and it's going to come all at once. And we're going to have the plants, and we're going to have all the products for you, as usual. But I want to give you kind of an update about what's going on in the greenhouse, because there is a ton that's happening. All our spring silks are out. I know you're, you want to use those live plants, but Mother Nature is kind of keeping us in the back burner right now. But spring silks, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking about silk flowers. Now, I know fake flowers, a lot of people are like, oh, they're cheap looking. You know, you go to the, the box stores or whatnot. They are. They're really kind of ugly, you know. But we have some sprigs of, you know, forsythia and uh orchids and all kinds of different things that honestly if you walked by them you could not tell that they are fake they are that good a quality and so it just adds something in a vase in a house that you don't have to replace every single week so having a few of those things around the house it just makes you kind of smile you know and let's face it the birds the other day i was sitting on the porch it was nice and sunny and the birds just started to chirp so Keep those bird feeders up to date, you know, clean, new seed, you know, throw some seed out around the ground. That will start attracting more of those birds to your bird feeders that are now starting to migrate. They're starting to move. You know, they're looking for nesting materials. They're all starting to kind of do their spring thing. And, of course, now is the time to do a lot of seed starting. So we'll talk a little bit about seed starting today, of uh, some vegetables and some other things. But you should be picking up your supplies thinking about what you need, all of those things. It's the end of March, folks. We'll be planting peas within a few weeks. We'll be planting lettuce and other things out later, you know, a month from now. So think about that. you got to start being proactive. I know Mother Nature has kept us in a closet most of the winter. You know, it's been a long, tough season. Everybody's chomping at the bit to do something. But this might give you kind of some spring feel to start a few plants, try something new. You know, it might just get you in that feel like, oh, it's going to happen. The smell of soil in a tray. And in the greenhouse, man, are we going great gangbusters. Perennials are all potted, growing just amazing. Easter lilies are up and all budded, starting to look wonderful. And let's face it, you know, all the pansies are starting to bloom in the greenhouse. On our Facebook page, we've been kind of posting some of those pictures. You know, uh, primrose look wonderful. Hanging baskets by the thousands are sitting on benches ready to be hung as we open up more greenhouses. So all of those big containers we've been planting for weeks now. And so it's coming you're going to just do wonderful things here in the next few weeks. Um, we're lining up trucks of trees and shrubs and all of those things to start arriving. Just got to get that Mother Nature to continue to work with us. But it's awfully nice that the snow banks are going away, everything's kind of happening, and the ground is starting to thaw from underneath. So before too long, we'll be putting down fertilizer. All those plants will be popping up. Everything will be starting to happen. So today we're going to talk a lot about different questions, questions that have kind of been 
coming to us over the last few weeks and I've had guests on, you know, Jim Massey's been on and, you know, a whole bunch of people, Flower Show, we talked about that for a couple weeks straight, it seemed like, you know, but overall the Flower Show went quite well. Everybody seemed to be quite happy with it, you know. Um, obviously, there were some things on the, in the show that people weren't as, I guess, they had some issues with the, uh, some of the plants that were missing. And I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that today because, you know, you didn't see a lot of lilacs. You didn't see a lot of forsythia. You didn't see a lot of the common plants that we normally have in, the sh- in a flower show. And there was a reason for that. Due to the fact of it was so cold here in Maine, a lot of people decided not to force their own plants this year. And so, totally understandable with the cost of fuel and everything. So, they had contracted with some nurseries down in Georgia and Florida to do some of this for them. But let's face it, folks. Think about it. How cold was it in Georgia and Florida in January and February? Things didn't break dormancy the way they normally do. So they couldn't ship some of the key items that they were anticipating they were going to have. Lilacs and forsythia and quince and, you know, all these things that we normally have in a show. There was a little hole there. But overall, I thought the creativity was absolutely wonderful. You know, uh, Cozy Acres won Best of Show. Um, first time for Jeff Marshall. Now, Jeff, as you recall, was on our show and he is the one that has the zero emissions greenhouse. And that was part of his theme. And uh, it was a cool display. You know, the geese in there, the jack and the beanstalk, the whole, the whole thing. You know, I really liked the theme this year. I thought it really kind of hit home for some people. Now, could you use all of that in your yard? No, but that's okay. Sometimes you can, you can kind of pawn off some of those things in your yard. You know, I saw some wonderful sculptures in coastal... Coastal, uh, you know, display, it was really kind of cool, you know, granite sculptures. I thought there were some really cool things in the show. But enough about that. That's in the past. It's a couple weeks ago. Whatever. Now we're moving on to life out in the real world, okay? But at least it gave us a boost of energy, you know? Now we can start thinking outside. And I've started to get some questions submitted on the website. And one was, when should I start fertilizing my spring bulbs? So, you know, here's a classic event. We're getting to that point where there are some of these bulbs that are starting to pop up here, there, everywhere. You know, maybe a warm spot next to the steps or a warm spot next to the foundation and the daffodils and the crocus and stuff are starting to pop up. You know, we're seeing those places where the snow's just completely gone and things happen quick, folks. You know, that sun in the sky is really, really warm. In the greenhouses right now, if the sun is out, it's 85 or 90 degrees or even 100 if we don't turn on the vents within a half hour, hour. So that sun is really strong. And how about daylight savings time? You know, how nice is it to have that change Man, I am so excited when it's 6.30 and I still have light. I feel like doing something. I'm not so wild about getting up in the dark, but I can deal with that. But the bulbs, the one thing I want to tell you is you really aren't feeding the bulbs for flowers. What we're doing is we're feeding the foliage after they're done flowering. So with all your bulbs that you planted last fall that are coming up, I don't want you to feed until after the flower has gone by. 
And that's not normal for most plants. We usually are feeding before they're in flower, and then we might feed again after. What we want to do is feed the bulb and feed the foliage, but we don't want to push the flower past bloom quicker. With our cool temperatures in the spring, it's nice to have those flowers come up and stay as long as they can. Now, if you start to see petals starting to wither and you start to see petals dropping on the ground like tulips, you know, or daffodils are just starting to wither, that's the time to use a product like Bulb Tone. Okay? Very, just scratch it in the top of the mulch around those bulbs and just let Mother Nature do its thing. Okay? And what that's going to do is that's going to feed the bulb for next year and keep your bulb lively and healthy and make it expand so that you have more flowers for the following year. So, you know, when it comes to spring bulbs, hold off. We still got plenty of time. My suggestion, though, is go to the garden center, pick up a few pansies or some other spring flowers to plant, and grab the bulb tone at that time. You will, if you don't have the product and it's not at your house, when the plants start to wither, you've got to make an extra trip. And let's face it, not all of you are entering the garden center that often at this time of year. So think about that bulb tone. Just pick it up, have it on the shelf. When you start to see the bulbs wither, you know, and those flowers falling on the ground, you know you have the product. You can run in, throw a couple handfuls around the clumps, and you're done. Real simple, real easy. So spring is coming. Those daffodils and those crocus and all those lovely things. And speaking of pansies, they're close. They're close to being ready. We're in the hardening off phase. You know, there's nice little flowers all over them, you know, and we're cooling them down so they're ready to be planted. And we've talked about this time and time again. Pansies are a cool season plant. You want them to be planted when temperatures are cold. Not later in May, we want them in late March and early April. By May 15th, you want to be done planting pansies, okay? And the reason being is we want them to root. I'll say that again. We want them to root instead of grow early in the season. If they root, they're going to hold on and do much better with the summer heat. The later you plant them, the more top growth they put on and the less root system. So we start planting pansies typically around the garden center late March, early April. This will still be a question mark for us here in Maine this year. But the tide will turn in a blink of an eye. You know, one rainstorm, you know, a three-day of really nice weather during the day and above freezing, and everything will change really quickly here, folks. So don't hesitate to get that in your head that I got to plant those pansies early in the season. Make a huge, huge difference. Okay? And then let's talk a little bit about the lawn. Okay? Because this is going to be a bad year for snow mold. And you say, snow mold? What is that? Snow mold is a mycelia. I know I said that big word. But it looks like snow on the grass. And it primarily shows up on the areas where you pile snow. So if you think about it, we've had a few piles of snow this year, and I'm sure there are a few snow banks still around. And if you look, first thing in the morning when there's a little dew on the lawn, it'll look like snow in the areas that the grass is completely dead. Okay? And that's called snow mold. Now, snow mold is a pain, and it will come back 
consistently if you're not aggressive with it. So when you use a fungicide, Infuse is the one I, I recommend from Bonide. Now, I want you to treat that with Infuse, and then about a week or 10 days later, we need to loosen the soil, okay? I don't want you to just put new soil down. We need to loosen the soil. Part of snow mold is compaction of soil. If there's loose soil, it doesn't tend to come back as much. And then I will remind you again in the fall that we need to applicate in late fall again in those areas that you typically get snow mold. If you consistently have areas that die year in and year out and you have to replace them and it's where the plow and the snow banks are, it's probably snow mold. You may not notice it because by the time the temperatures warm up, it's gone. But it's not gone. It's still there. It's still active. And you may go ahead and plant new grass seed and then all of a sudden the grass seed starts not to do very well throughout the whole summer. And you wonder why aren't things doing what they're supposed to do, and it's probably a fungal issue. So all kinds of kind of problems we're going to see coming up, you know, throughout the next few months, and snow mold is going to be one that I think is going to be big. The other, of course, is plow damage. And we're going to have all kinds of areas along driveways, along roads, street fronts, you know, the areas that the plow guy just went in and took and scalped off three-quarters of an inch of grass, and you've got to get in there and replace that. Now, the best time to do that is earlier than later, okay? And the reason being is you can fight the crabgrass. You can do all of that early on, you know, and get your seed down. It won't germinate as quick, but Mother Nature will be raining for us. It'll be cool temperatures. So it's one of the first things once the snow is gone. Wait for that last storm. It always comes, you know, but getting that plow damage fixed up early, throwing some seed down, using some new soil will make a huge, huge difference. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Do you want the best-looking lawn in your neighborhood? Let Bonide help with their easy-to-use Duraturf four-phase lawn program. Just use all four phases of this program throughout the year as directed, and you'll have a healthy weed and insect-free lawn. The four-phase program rids your lawn of over 200 broadleaf and grassy weeds, including crabgrass, nutsedge, and dandelions. And say goodbye to surface insects like fleas and ticks while it slowly feeds your lawn all year long. Bonide offers up to a $35 gift certificate to the store where the Bonide four-phase lawn program is purchased. But you can also buy the four phases individually as you need them. Don't let weeds and insects take over your lawn. Get Bonide DuraTurf four-phase lawn program for a picture-perfect lawn. Bonide is found at your local independent garden centers of Maine. Visit maineigc.com or visit bonide.com. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, and man, spring's coming. You can feel it in the air. I, You know, I talked about earlier in the show, I was sitting on the deck there, and the birds were chirping, and it was funny because we were moving some plants between greenhouses last week, and, and the same thing happened. All the crew kind of just stopped all of a sudden. I was like, what's going on? And they're like, don't you hear the birds? And I did. I stopped, and I was like, wow, that's the spring sound. 
you know, and of course, a couple weeks ago, let's face it, we had two and a half feet of snow on the ground, possible more storms, all kinds of stuff going on. Mother Nature always starts to work. At this point, snow can't stay. It's just happening, folks. You know, and we're starting to get all those plants shipped to us, and and things are really, you know, there's a buzz going in the garden center. You can't deny it. And, you know, I've been storing up some questions, and here's another question. And we touched on this, I think, maybe last week or the week before. But this is from Laura in Yarmouth, and her question is, my evergreens are browning. What should I do? Uh... I've got yews and boxwood and dwarf Alberta spruce, pines, rhododendrons. You know, we've had some warm days, Laura. This is pretty common. And, and I think in the last couple of weeks, I, I brought this up that I had the same problem on a dwarf Alberta spruce at my house. And what I should do is I'm, I'm going to take a picture of that and post it on our Facebook page uh, because Everybody gets really concerned about this. And in this particular spot I have, Dwarf Alberta Spruce, it's southern-facing, right up against the house, snowbank right around it. It And that, that snow acts as a mirror, and it deflects the light back up to the plant underneath the needle. And what you're seeing is you're seeing those burns throughout the winter from all this weather we've had. Let's face it, we haven't had the best growing winter in a long time winter is been rough heavy winds bone chilling temperatures you know heavy snow and ice just all the conditions that basically will take a plant and set it back which can open up to disease and insect and all kinds of other problems so we'll touch more on that after we talk about the burn so if you look out, you probably look at your rhododendron some, at some points during the whole winter, and you'll see them. They're all curled up, and they're trying to protect themselves. You go, oh, no, my rhododendron. Oh, what, what, what. It, it looks awful out there. That's conserving moisture. And a lot of times what you're probably seeing on your rhododendrons is the middle of the leaf is burned or the edges are burned. That's just because it desiccated in the winter, meaning the leaf dries out, it can't take any moisture from the from the ground because it's frozen, and it burns. Not a huge concern, okay? The plant will rebound. The dwarf Alberta spruce, same thing. Don't rip it out. Let's give it some time. Some extra water, some extra fertilizer will make a huge difference. Use. Now, yews are pretty tough, and you don't usually see a lot of damage on them. So there's a couple things, a couple questions I might ask you. Did you prune your yews really late in the season, which can also damage them? And same with boxwood. In If you pruned really late, say October or November, you open up all that undergrowth to problems. Now, I've got a little boxwood hedge in the Yarmouth store, and I walked by it the other day, and I've got little yellow leaves all over the tips. And it really needed to be pruned last fall, but I made the conscious decision not to prune it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to prune it in the spring and prune all that yellow growth off. With boxwood and use, if you fertilize later in the summer, you also sometimes can get late growth. We had a fairly warm fall last fall. You know, it went right into October, even into November, where we had warm temperatures. And sometimes those two plants can also push a little extra growth. And that doesn't harden up, 
before we go into really cold temperatures. So you can burn that newest foliage. So if your burn is on the newest foliage from last year, it's okay. Just trim it off. Light shearing first thing in the spring. Some nice holly tone, which basically your yews, your boxwood, your dwarf Alberta spruce, your pines, and your rhododendrons all use holly tone. So what we're going to do on all these damaged plants is we're going to use a light application of holly tone. Not a heavy one. Not our normal spring. I don't like to fertilize plants heavily when they are stressed. And we're going to have a lot of stressed plants coming out of winter this year with a lot of damage. It's going to happen, folks. There's no way around it. Mother Nature didn't play nice this winter. So I'm going to say half a rate of application of the normal rate of holly tone. I think usually it's about a cup per you know size and follow the rate on the bag obviously depending on the size of your plant but we're going to cut that in half and we're going to lightly fertilize early in april we're going to give some extra water if we have a dry spell which the ground is very saturated at this point so water is not really a necessity but when i talk water it's really for the length of the season Okay, a stress plant coming out of winter needs to rebound. Now, if you think about it, this has an established root system. It has established stems. It's got a lot of pent-up energy, but the foliage has been damaged. So it has a tough time making chloroform and really building back up energy. It's got to use all that stored energy to push new growth. And the one thing we don't want it to do is get stressed in the summer months. So from mid-May through September, we're going to give it an extra drink of water once a week just to be, make it happy. It has the root system. It has the nutrients. It can push the growth, but the key to everything is water. No matter what you do, if you don't put the fertilizer on it, water is the number one thing. Think about yourself. If you're thirsty, you need some water and you feel so much better. You can do anything you want as long as you're hydrated. Same thing with plants. They need that water to rebound. So, Laura, I hope that helps, you know, with some of those damaged plants. You can always send us an email at estherbrooksonline.com backslash radio if you want attach a picture of a damaged plant. We can email you back, you know. And on that front, I'll have some new technical fun stuff coming down the pike in the next couple of weeks. We've got some new stuff to add to our website. Maybe a little, you know, symbol on your phone might be coming soon. But I don't want to give it away, you know. But we've got some new technological stuff that we're implementing for spring. It's just not finished up yet. And when it is, I'll give you all the details, all the cool things we can do. And that's one of them is take that picture and email it to us from your yard so you can get a response of what's going on with that particular plant and we can help diagnose it. So that's something coming up very soon. I'll just give it away a little bit. You can use your imagination. But Laura, I I hope that helps. I'm sure there are a whole bunch of other problems you're going to have and that segues me into we're going back live, folks, on the 29th. Okay, so you can call in, you can ask your questions. If you don't feel comfortable talking on air, just tell Debbie the question when she answers the phone, and I'll answer it online. Well, not online, on air, I should say. 
you know, and that way, if you don't feel comfortable, you still can get your question answered. If I don't answer the question and you don't provide me enough information, call back. You know, I won't bite on the air, folks. I swear to God. But we're going back live. So exciting. You know, talk about all those problems. Talk about things that are coming up. We'll have some guests in, obviously. But I want it to be a question and answer show here, folks. Okay, I want to help you with your problems. I want to help you cite specifically with plants. I want to talk to you about how you can make your house look the best it can to put it on the market this spring if you want to sell it. Think of those questions and more and more questions that we have. And this one's from Joanna. And this is a prime, you know, a lot of people do this. So Joanna's from Saco. And, you know, she states, your show is refreshing. It feels good to think about spring and starting vegetable plants. I want to start onions like Lois recommended. Now, Lois Stack was on a few weeks ago, and she had recommended, uh, you know, a, a, a type of onion. Unfortunately, at this point, Joanna it's really too late to start them. So my question, my recommendation would be to buy onion sets, meaning that they're little started, you know, onion sets and you just plunk them in the ground. It really is a, is a much, much easier way to go uh, due to the fact that onions are a very long crop. But uh, I will get more information from Lois on what that variety is and get that to you uh, so that next year you can get those seeds and get them started early on in, in the process. Um, you know, but you also mentioned that you've been saving seeds from your vegetables that you buy in the store. Do you think they'd be successful or am I wasting my time? Great question because, you know, time and time again, you know, you can you can take seeds out of apples, you can take seeds out of peppers, tomatoes, all kinds of things. To be perfectly honest, Joanna, the one thing you have to be concerned about is where is that fruit grown? Maine's a microcosm and a special place, and we have an extremely short season. So if it's grown in Guatemala, you know, or California, or who knows, Spain, or wherever, you have to think about what variety it is. Now, there are many varieties that can be used in many different regions. So you may have varieties that work well. Like you take a pepper. Those yellow peppers probably aren't going to look like that here in Maine. We just don't have long enough season. Those orange peppers, too. But maybe a green bell pepper might be the right variety. With any seed that you harvest from the fruit that you actually buy at the store, it probably will not be the same variety the following year. You will have some cross of what the original parents were. So if you buy a beefsteak tomato, you may or may not have beefsteak. It may be a hybrid of beefsteak. So to make a long story short, it's probably a lot easier to just buy seed packets of the specific varieties with the specific time frame to our climate. The other thing is you know that those seeds are viable because they've been tested and it'll show a germination rate on the back of the package. It also tells you the length in which you know you need to have the number of days to harvest meaning it might be 120 days. So if you want to start harvesting, you know, in August, you back up 120 days, and that's when you start your seed. Okay? So all those little tips on the seed packet 
will lead you to how you and when you need to start all of these plans. So in my estimation, are you wasting your time? No, it's a cool project. It's kind of fun. You know, you probably have some things that would do quite well, but you don't have all the information you need to be successful. And the number one thing, Joanna, is I really want you to be successful. I want you to be successful. So having that information really will set you apart to being successful down the road and having a good yield in your vegetable garden. There's nothing worse than growing something and you don't get the fruits of your labor. And, you know, by saving $15, $20 worth of seed, it's probably not worth it. It's probably not worth it. That's that's the route I would go. So speaking of vegetables, did I tell you my garden is all prepped for this spring? Now, last spring, if you've been listening since last spring, I was behind the eight ball the whole time. And not this year. I have more than enough space. I can space things out. And I'm starting to plan out how I'm going to do my vegetable garden. Okay? I'm going to space it out appropriately, which I didn't do last year. I got over anxious and excited when I planted. And I planted things too tight, like we all can. So have that plan when you come to the garden center. Or have that plan when you start your seeds. You know, that's another point. Joanna, is you really need to plan. Don't have too many seedlings. And if you do have too many seedlings, it's okay to give some to a friend. You don't have to plant them all, okay? Because they put a million seeds in that seed packet, and it doesn't mean you have to plant all of them, okay? Especially if you're doing tomatoes or peppers or, or whatnot. One tomato plant, 30 pounds. You don't need that many of them unless you're like a sauce person that really likes to make a lot of sauce, you know, or fried green tomatoes or, you know, I love tomatoes. Our garden center was built on tomatoes. My grandfather was a tomato fanatic. We had acres of tomatoes when we were vegetable farming. I love tomatoes. I hate picking tomatoes. You know, when you've got 3,000 pounds out in the field, it's kind of daunting and the frost is coming. And so think about what your need is. If you always have extra, you can always donate to a food pantry. You can always find somebody that needs food. It's not a problem. So having extra more than what you need is fine as long as you find an outlet for it. Friends, family, food pantry, shelters, plant a row, wherever it might be, find a home. Don't waste it. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earth life compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook on another Saturday morning, March 22nd. We're going live next week, folks. The 29th, we will be live from 8 to 9 uh, on WLOB here. And uh, we want you to call in. We want you to call in. We want 
questions and answers and, you know, all that interaction going on. If you don't feel comfortable talking on the radio, which some people are shy, I get it, you know, no question, you know, is dumb, you know, because you're not the only one that has this question in their head, okay? Time and time and time again, I have customers come up in the garden center and they're like, I've got a, I got a dumb question, you know. But you want to what? You're the fifth person that has asked the same question. If you're having a problem in your yard, the likelihood is many other people are. And that's part of the reason why we're doing this show is to inform people and try to educate and be able to get through the problems. And it, like I've said time and time again, when you're successful, we're successful. Not only at Estabrooks, but as an industry, okay? It's important to me that as an industry, we're the place you go to get the help you need. Independent garden centers, I can't state enough the great people that work in independent garden centers. So another question here, we've got Peter Williams from Freeport. And Peter, um, you know, I'm enjoying the show on Saturday mornings. I appreciate everything. Um, I'm interested in adding peonies to my landscape, okay, this year. I've not used them before, but I hear they're fairly easy to grow, and there are many varieties. I'd like to hear your thoughts on which varieties do best in Maine. Old, standby plant for Maine. It's it's this is a Maine garden plant. Peonies are by far a staple in Maine gardens. They've been around forever. You go to the oldest farmhouses in Maine and sometimes the peonies are huge. They're 4 to 5 feet around. They've got hundreds of flowers on them. You know, old-fashioned plant. Now, with old-fashioned plants, what happens? We make them fresh. We make them new. What I'll say Peter is any variety of peony is going to do well in Maine. So it really comes down to taste. But what I will tell you is there are new peonies on the market called Ito peonies. Ito, what does that mean? Well, it's that whole breeding, name-calling thing that we do in this industry. But what they are is they're a cross between a tree peony, which is a woody plant, and a typical peony that you find in the garden here in the landscape of Maine. Okay, so what they are is they're a semi-woody plant, but they get the big flowers and the different range of colors that tree peonies get. And we'll talk about tree peonies. Now, tree peonies are what I like to call a shrub peony. You do not cut them back. They are a woody shrub. They get about four to five feet tall eventually, three to four, four to five, depending on the variety. They're a very long process long process to get that size of the plant. My mother has a beautiful one. It's about 20 years old. It's about four feet tall, three and a half, four feet wide, big, huge flowers on it. She bought it as a little itty bitty bare root plant when I was a kid. She planted it out by the pool. And I always went, why did you plant that by the pool? She's like, well, that's where I, I wanted to enjoy it when I was out at the pool. I'm like, mom, it blooms in late May, early June. We're not at the pool in Maine at that time. And so a lot of times, you know, she's peeking out there to see how it's come. It's a beautiful plant. But with tree peonies, you don't move them. They don't like to be moved very well. So we've kept it there. It's a wonderful structure plant in the garden, regardless, even though we don't get to enjoy the flowers as much because it's not an area that we see all the time. But tree peonies basically come in lavenders, reds, pinks, and yellow. So, wide range of colors. 
big, huge six-inch flowers, just absolutely stunning. Then these Ito peonies, which are those intermediate types, and they come in a few different varieties. And I'm going to list varieties on these because this is, these are what we have. There are many others, and Itos are kind of coming on the market. The one thing with tree peonies and Ito peonies, they are more expensive, probably twice what your traditional peonies are. So we have one called Scarlet Heaven, which is a beautiful red. One called Garden Treasure, which is a yellow. Really cool. I mean, and it's a true yellow. It will kind of be more a buttery white as it passes. Canary Brilliance, which is another yellow. And Coral Louise, which is pink with red stripes in it. Really cool, vivid colors. You don't get all of that coloration in your typical old-fashioned peonies. But starting out with old-fashioned ones are a great way to go also. So three or four, you know, good, good, good peonies are Carl Rosenfield. Nice dark red. Holds up well. Always a good bloomer. Sarah Bernhardt, nice double pink. I would say Sarah Bernhardt has been the most popular variety I have sold in my entire career. Year in and year out, we sell more of that variety because it's that nice shell pink. Accents with every other plant in the garden. Just a real nice grower. Always has good bud set. But that double pink flower, it's nice and big. Probably the one you see in many, many, many gardens in your neighborhood because it's been planted time and time and time again. Festiva Maxima is another great one. It's a white, good, tried and true. And with white, sometimes we can have less vigor in peonies, it seems like. So, you know, the plants are a little bit smaller. They take a little more time to size up. That's just a typical trait in a lot of plants. Usually whites are the least, not attractive, but the least work has been done putting into the breeding. Because people are thinking, oh, I need vivid colors, I need pinks and purples and bicolors and yellows and, you know, and they kind of just let white kind of come along. But there are many different whites. And then Bowl of Beauty is a, is a great one. It's a nice pink, you know, it's got that cup shape, it's got a nice yellowish center in the middle, it's a single flower, kind of picture a bowl, you know, it's a single flower though. The others are all doubles. And the singles aren't as sought after, but it adds a different texture in the garden. It really is kind of a cool difference in peonies because so many are doubles. Now, Peter, the one thing I want to do, and every customer should do this, when you buy a peony, you buy a peony cage with it. Now, the peony that you have in the garden center might have a cage in the pot, but I want you to buy another cage to go with it. And I'm not trying to sell more cages here. The fact is you need to have the cage so that every single year you get in the habit. I'm going to, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going out to mulch. I'm going out to fertilize. The peony cages go over the plant to let the peony grow up through it. The biggest problem people have is they don't stake their peonies. Peonies are meant to stay upright. You'll have a lot less disease problems and insect problems, but they need structure in order to really be able to stand up. Think of that big flower. And the whole clump is looking wonderful, and we get one rainstorm, and poof, they're all around the ground. It's so frustrating. And I like peonies for cut flowers. I take a few out of each clump, and I stick them in with some other 
you know, flowers out of the garden, make a little bouquet, bring it to a, a dinner I'm going to or whatnot. It's a cheap and expensive gift. You take it out of the garden. It looks great. And your neighbor or your friend is just ecstatic, you know. So great way to really make sure you have those nice long stems upright. So I particularly like the ones that have uh, squares in the – I don't like a just a big open round one. I like the ones with the divided grates in it. And you may have to go out, you know, as that plant's getting up through there and space out the stems in that grate. But I like it that way because then the plant can't move that far. Now, the single circle types of, of, of um, peony hoops are fine. They work well. But what happens is they basically, all the stems fall to the outer edge, which is fine. It looks good in the garden. If you can have a multi-tiered one, meaning multiple rings, but always invest in that on the front end because 99% of people don't do that. And we'll recommend it, and you go through the register line, you forget about it. So maybe that's our fault for not walking you in there and putting it on your cart. But it's really important you go ahead and pick up, pick up, <laughs> I'm going to say it again, that nice ring. And last but not least is with peonies in Maine, we have seen one problem, well, two problems. One is Botrytis. Okay, and when I say botrytis, it's a fungus that attacks the flower bud. We need to use some fungicide on this because it's the number one reason that peonies don't bloom. And they blight off when the peony is very low. And so we use a product called Infuse. And I talked about Infuse um, early on with the snow mold. So here's a prime example. You're treating for the snow mold. Your peonies have just emerged. You treat the peonies at the same time, okay? Another product called Mancazeb. I know that's a big, but that's what it says on the bottle, Mancazeb. Can't they come up with a better name? I'm going to talk to my friends at Bonite about that. Mancazeb is another systemic fungicide that will help with this particular issue. So if your peonies aren't blooming year in and year out, the likelihood is your flower buds are probably being blighted off in the early stages early on. Treating them will make a huge, huge difference, okay? And time and time again, we have that question throughout the growing season about peonies. We'll bring it up again as the peonies are starting to, you know, emerge. But Peter, I hope that kind of gives you an idea about peonies. Uh, it's a huge, huge list. If you go online you can find a million varieties of peonies. And to be perfectly honest, we don't stock that many. We stock maybe 10 or 12 varieties, maybe a few more. But we don't have all of them all the time. And peonies we primarily have early spring, and then we're basically selling out of them. So it's not an item that we keep in stock all season long. By probably mid-June, mid we're selling out of peonies and you probably won't find them on the bench, or in small numbers you will find them. So early spring, great plant. If you have to move peonies, if you're going to get some from a neighbor or another another folk, you know, friend or, or whatnot, peonies are best moved in the fall. It is not recommended you move peonies in the spring. If you have to, construction project or whatnot, take as big a clump as you possibly can. Don't divide them. And move them and heal them in in another spot or replant them someplace else. 
but be very cautious about watering. All the peonies you're buying from us in containers have been transplanted last summer into that container. Probably in August or September, they were planted in that container. They build root system over the whole fall and or early spring when they're starting to emerge, and then they're ready to put in the ground. So, Peter, I hope that helps out. You know, I know you've got another question on orchards, and we're going to bring that up, uh, you know, later on in the show. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, a lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we're talking questions today. A whole bunch of questions that have been submitted on our website. If you have a question, don't hesitate to submit it at estabrooksonline.com backslash radio, or we're going live. You can call us Saturday mornings from 8 to 9 o'clock here at WLOB, and we'll answer your questions. We're here from 8 to 9. Don't be shy if you don't want to be on air again. Like I said, just go ahead and give Debbie the question on the phone, and we'll try to answer it here uh, live. We'll also be talking about different topics. You also can hear us at WLOBradio.com. We're streaming live every single Saturday morning, and you can pick up the podcast at estabrooksonline.com backslash radio. So all kinds of ways you can get us, folks. But we're here to help. That's the underlying thing. And Peter has been nice enough to keep submitting questions. And I have a long-term relationship with Peter. Peter's a great customer of ours. And Peter, I really appreciate the questions. I hope you'll call in when we go live on the 29th. And this one here is, uh, you're, you know, you're talking about orchards, which we're getting to that time. Most fruit trees are planted early spring. Our fruit trees will be arriving soon. I'll let you know when they come, of course. But, uh, Peter, you're starting a small apple orchard and uh, this season, and you've got two or three varieties you know, with a total of about six, and you're buying them bare root, I assume mail order. And uh, you've got Gold Rush and Honeycrisp, good varieties. Would you mind talking about best practices for starting a home organic orchard and, you know, recommendations on varieties and spraying and chemicals and, you know, all of that. Well, here's a prime example of orchards. You know, first, I'd like to say you have to set up some sort of expectation that you have for your orchard. If you're looking for the perfect apple like you see at the grocery store, you're probably not being realistic. Because our time, we're not regimented like that. 
And let's face it, folks, a lot of those folks are spraying their trees very consistently. So first, Peter, I would say, set up your expectations. Number one thing I would do, you're starting off with some bare root plants. We got to get them established. So the first thing, you know, we want to do is use a good root stimulator when we plant great soil, um, decent compost. You know, I wouldn't over compost though. Good planting practices, make sure you plant at the right level, you know, get that root flare. And, and if people don't understand what a root flare is, it's where the roots come off the main trunk. Make sure not to plant the trees too deep. Stake them so that they don't get blown over by the wind. And then the first few years, I'd say three to five years, I want you to take all the fruit off of the trees. Don't let them fruit. As soon as you see little apples, take them off, pick them off. The first three to five years, we're probably just going to be pruning and growing the tree. And what we're doing, Peter, is we're really setting ourselves up for success, okay? We have to get a strong structural tree before we try to have fruit. Because if you have a lot of weight from all of that fruit, you're going to have broken branches. You're going to have sticks out there propping up branches that have 20 apples on them, and they're not going to be able to withstand all that weight. Now, I put inch-and-a-half-inch caliper apple trees down my driveway. This will be the third year coming up. And when I say inch-and-a-half caliper, that's the diameter of the trunk. So pretty well-established trees. Most trees you get in a 7-gallon in a or a bare root, they're maybe an inch caliper. So I started with a bigger tree. It had better branching structure, and I have not had an apple on them yet either. And I pruned them this winter to help shape and do what I need to do to get to that point. But I'm thinking I'll give at least another year, and it's probably going to be two because I've treated them well and they've grown well. So I've really had to kind of prune them and shape them and take some of that growth off. So the first few years, all we're talking about is stress management. Now you talk, you want to be organic, and I think that's awesome. We'll do as organic as we possibly can. And the first three years are a time where we may have the opportunity to not be organic at times, okay? Because we're going to pick all the fruit off of it. So you've got no concern about having any food issue, okay? So it gives us an opportunity to set the trees up really well. Number one stress situation is water. We talk about it time and time and time again. Water is the number one thing, Peter, that we need to be concerned about. Number two, fertilizer. We want good fertilization. Keep those leaves good and green. Keep them healthy. Combination of water and fertilizer are key. Root stimulator, I talked about that. Getting good, heavy roots rather than pushing a lot of top growth. I'm okay if the fertilizer kind of weans out through the summer months. So heavier on the fertilizer early, lighter in the fall. Okay? These trees just need to be treated nicely. Now, the things that usually attack cedar apple rust, very common disease... Because we don't have fruit, we're not worrying about scab and all these other things. So cedar apple rust, so we might use some fungonil, you know, or if you want to go more organically, copper fungicide, okay? Consistently. Follow the label. You want to be very consistent. Be proactive on fungicide. Black spot's another one that can show up just due to our mother nature type conditions here in Maine. 
So we've gone three or four years. Now we're getting into the fruit phase. So we'll talk, you know, come in, ask questions about how to prune the trees, all of that. But now we're looking to fruit production. And now we've got to think, okay, how can we be organically sound and do the best job we can at not overdoing it? So here's a few things. Copper fungicide, number one. Number two, neem oil for your insects and or all seasons oil. That's kind of, you know, your your oils that will smother all your insects. So those are the two products I would focus on. If we're not going as organic, then we ta- start talking about other things. And Captain Jack's, which, you know, has spinosad in it. We have an orchard spray that has pyrethrins and sulfur, so fungicide and insecticide. And then your fruit tree spray. And last but not least, I want to talk about fruit tree spray because this is the old standard that we've used forever. And folks out there, if you have an orchard and you've been spraying your trees with this for years, I want to let you know a couple things. The label has changed on this product. It used to be we could spray this product every single week. Now, the new label that's coming out on the bottle now, we can spray it twice a year. The registration has changed completely. So now we have to use the orchard spray in between. We might have to use some copper fungicide. We may have to use a hybrid of how you used to do things. So please come in and talk to us in the garden center about how you're going to go ahead and handle your orchard because things and products are changing in this area. I want to thank you for a great show this week. You know, again, we're going to be live, live, live on the 29th, 8 to 9 o'clock. Don't hesitate to call in. I'll be giving you the number next week. So get out there. Enjoy your garden.